day, good night, welcome to Off the Woodworks. I'm Kevin Laramé, and we have a very busy show today. A couple of guests, we have Michael McCall from AFTN.ca to talk a little bit about the Whitecaps, the Voyager's Cup Final, and we actually talked about the Lamar Hunt US Open Cup that starts today, Tuesday, May 14th. And even though there was a play-in round last week, it's actually round one today in the U.S. Open Cup. And then I talked to Morgan Green from the EPL Talk podcast. There is a lot of things going on right now in the English and European football. And we talked about it all. From Sir Alex Ferguson to Mancini to finish in Amsterdam to talk about the Blues, the Europa League final. But first, Matteo! Matteo! Matteo, Mr. Ferrari scored twice. He has he had a brace. No, he didn't. One of it was an own goal, but he redeemed himself in extra time from a corner. A defender scored for Montreal Impact. We scored on a set piece in extra time. What? 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 Yep, we did it. If you had told me before the before the game started that we would win in overtime and in, in overtime, nah, that's what Boston did last night. But to win in extra time, it's it never happened. I can't remember any Montreal Impact game with an extra time goal from a set piece. Amazing, ah, amazing. Good job, Matteo. Back to the game. Great. Characters were shown by the Montreal by the Montreal Eleven. They came back twice. They stunned them an extra time. Even when Kyle Beckerman scored at around the 75th, 76th minute, he was sure he had won the game. You could see in his hair and in his high in his eyes that he won the game. He's like, yeah, he pumped fists and he looked at the crowd, blah blah blah. But Montreal came back again, and of course. It was Marco De Valle who tied it the second time. And what can I tell you? Ferrari scored probably his nicest goal of, in a couple years. It's actually nominated for goal of the week, but you know it's not going to win. This week it's the, it's the Ferrari. No, the Ferrari. Because I was thinking about the Red Bulls. You know what I mean? So the Red Bulls. And New York and Thierry Henry are nominated for Gold of the Week with the bicycle that he did against us on Wednesday. But damn, Maxime Tissot played his best game, in my opinion, in the Montreal Impact jersey. Great crosses, he was involved, he played well, he had confidence in his play, and good job on Maxime Tissot. Asun Kamara was up to his high standards. He played like we know he could play. And all those games, the six game in 18 or seven in 22 days, there's two players that played every single minute of those games, and that's Asun Kamara and Jabrowski. And like Mr. Mateo says, they are, they are his heroes. Yes. The Jebi Knights, Mr. Jabrowski and Asun. Great job, boys. Damn, you guys got heart. You play... Every single tackle, every single thing that you're trying to do on the ball, every single action you do on the pitch is made with every single ounce of soul you have in your body. 
You put everything you have on the pitch, and for this, I commend you too. You are my heroes as well. Asun and Jeb, we both love you guys. You're workhorses. You're the backbone of this team without even knowing it. And we, on After Woodworks, which means me, basically, we appreciate you a lot. And that result against RSL, that 3-2, it's going to become a classic. Those two teams over the, over the years, I predict they're going to have games that are fought hard. If you remember last year when we went to Rio Tinto, we actually played well. And this year, and Montreal, we came back and we showed them it's our pitch, it's our house, it's our fortress. We're going to protect the North. Yep. I said it. We're going to protect the North. La Garde. <laughs> Anyways, overall, it was a very entertaining game. Back and forth. It's a classic, like I said. It was a classic. It was an amazing game. And it sets the tone before the first leg of the Voyagers Cup Final. That is tomorrow night, 7.30, at the Saputo, Montreal versus Vancouver. A couple of guys haven't traveled for Vancouver. Kobayashi, Camilo, just naming those two. And we'll talk about that with Michael Mickle. That is coming in a second. After the break, Michael Mickle from AFTN.ca. And right after that, we have Morgan Green from the EPL Talk podcast. So I'll see you in about an hour. So we're very proud to introduce you today, Michael Mickle from AFTN Podcast. Down the west coast from Vancouver. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Kevin. How you doing today? I'm very good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty, very stoked about the final that starts this Wednesday, May 15th at the Saputo, 7.30 Eastern Time. What is your first thought with that game when you saw Montreal defeat Toronto 6-0? It, when I saw that, I was fearing the fact that we have to play Montreal. It was one of those results where... You're really pleased because Toronto just got hammered. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of, it's cooled down a bit because you know that you then have to play that Montreal all side in the final. And Montreal, along with probably Portland, are the two form teams in MLS just now. And it's possibly the worst possible time for us to be facing you. <laughs> well, it's a good thing for our point of view. <laughs> Uh, lately, there's been a little, a little bit of controversy with the choice Martin Rennie was doing on up top. What is your thought on that? It's been a tough season for the strikers. We've we've got a couple of guys that's been scoring goals in the reserves and scoring goals in, in the first game against Edmonton in Corey Herzog and Tommy Heineman. Neither of those guys are probably quality MLS starters. But the problem that Martin Rennie's had is the guys that are the quality starters, such as Camilo and Darren Maddox, they're just not performing. They've they've been playing really poorly. You also have Kenny Miller, who's had a hamstring injury that he just can't shake off. They try and bring him back. He breaks down in training. So it's it's been tough for Rennie. Does he keep going with the guys that, that's not performing but are the better players? Or does he throw the young guys in? And he's tried to mix it up. It's worked a little bit for the home games. We have got some points from that. Away from home, 
it, it's been poor. Our, our away form is just terrible in general, but he can't seem to get the the right lineup up front for away games. And it's going to be really interesting to see what he goes with on Wednesday. Yeah. Vancouver is coming off a big win at home against LA 3-1 with two goals from Russell Tybert. Do you think there's any chance we'll see him and a couple more Canadians on the pitch for Vancouver on Wednesday? Tybert should definitely start. After the performance in the weekend, I I would say there's no way that he's not going to start. He's probably going to be the only Canadian that you'll see. You could class Alan Rashad as as the Canadian because yeah. officially he <laughs> is, but um, I'm not even sure he's going to he's going to play on Wednesday because he's been struggling away from home, and Martin Rennie has indicated that he he may be keen to to rest the fullbacks of Rashad and Lee for away matches. But whether that just means MLS away matches and whether a cup final is going to be different, I don't know. But Rashad has been struggling. Obviously, he has the added motivation being from Quebec. And it's kind of a toss-up, I think, just now, whether Rashad will play or whether Jordan Harvey will slot in there. So consider- considering that, do you think uh, Rene is going to put his B team on the, on the pitch? No, it's, it's going to be a strong team. There's been a couple of guys that haven't travelled. Camillo hasn't travelled, um, not through injury or anything. It's just Rennie decided not to bring him. He wants to give him a rest. Okay. And Dago Kobayashi hasn't travelled because oh. he picked up an ankle injury at, at the weekend. Oh, okay. That's not probably going to be a big loss because he is also in terrible form just now. I think we're going to see a pretty strong team. I think we, ha- we haven't heard of anyone else that hasn't travelled, but that might be because the medias that went to the airport this morning were maybe asked not to reveal who hasn't travelled. Yeah, I only so, seen on Twitter today just a couple names. They only say Chumento was there. Uh, oh, I saw Legos on Twitter, but that's almost just those couple names came out. Yeah, Lee. I don't know if he's travelled or not. I expected him not to travel, but he hasn't been. It hasn't been said that he hasn't, so we kind of have to assume he does. We're going to probably get a better idea tomorrow because they're having a training session in, in Montreal tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I think you can expect, depending on Rashad or Harvey, you can pretty much expect a, a full-strength backline. The midfield as well will probably be the midfield that, that finished the game or after Kobayashi's injury was played okay, yeah. for most of the game. So you're probably going to have Davidson at the back and Rio Coker, Kofi and Tiber in the middle. Up front, it's it's just a it's a puzzle. Matix will probably continue because he scored on Saturday. And it's whether you're going to see Kakuta Mani in there for a bit of pace or whether he's going to play a big guy like Tommy Heineman just to try and, and disrupt the Montreal defence a little bit. Yeah. Speaking of Maddox, what do you think is his biggest downfall as a player this year? He always seems to get hot for a couple of games and then get very cold for a lot of games. He's very one-dimensional. He He's easily read, and I think last year he had the benefit in that people hadn't seen him before. And even when you do know how he's going to play, he has pace that makes it almost impossible to, to play against at times. But because he's one-dimensional, they know that if they close him down they kind of take a lot of his danger out of the game. He's also really bad for not looking up and seeing what's going on around him. And we saw that a couple of times on Saturday. He was so desperate to try and score and, and end his, his drought that, he's, that he had, mm-hmm. that he had a couple of really good breaks forward. And instead of looking up and in one case seeing Lee to his right 
And in another case, looking up and waiting for support, he tries to force the issue and he tries to just make something happen when it's not on. He'll take a shot when he's surrounded by three or four defenders and he's really easy to play against at times. And he is a confidence player and when his confidence has gone, which it has been recently, he, he just can't get anything to happen. He's also been really unlucky this year and he's hit the woodwork a couple of times. He's just missed some really bad chances as well. And I just don't know what Darren Maddox we're going to see on Wednesday. I'm hoping it's going to be the good one. He does perform better away from home. His his road record is fantastic. And I guess that's kind of what we're hoping for. All right. And right now, Marco DeVaio is one of the hottest strikers in the league. Oh, sure. Do you think, do you think that Vancouver's defense, the center-back and full-back, has what it takes to maybe stop him and counterplay his offside challenges? It's it's something which I personally am really worried about. DeVaio, for me, has been one of the, the standout players in MLS this year. He's the kind of player, like, when, when Montreal signed him, I wasn't sure that it was going to be a good move because it was another aged European guy coming over. I thought he would struggle here. But a top-class player like that, I guess, just doesn't struggle. He is the kind of player I would love Vancouver to have. I I just think he's fantastic. He plays so close to that offside that nine times out of ten, maybe even nine and a half times out of ten, he's, he's going to be offside. But it's that one time where he beats the line that he causes so much damage. And Vancouver's defence just now, we've had a really bad season. Our central defence as well, Andy O'Brien, Johnny Leveron, they're still trying to find their, their pairing together. Leveron doesn't speak very much English, so there's some okay. communication issues. And that's the kind of thing that DeVaio can exploit. Also, the fact that we have two fullbacks, if Rashad and Lee do play, they love to push forward. And okay. if if they get caught going forward, DeVaio's going to have a field day. I tipped DeVaio to be the, the top scorer in the Voyager's Cup for for this whole season and nothing kind of has shaken that I I wouldn't be surprised if he got a couple of goals on Wednesday Alright, and Montreal has been known this year for their counter-attack Italian Catenaccio style almost football Vancouver seems to be going a little bit more possession, do you think it's going to be a game almost like the Real Salt Lake of Montreal was on Saturday? I don't know, because Real Salt Lake showed a lot more than I was expecting I have to say, because Vancouver had played in the week before, and I didn't mm-hmm. think they were a very good team. But I was quite impressed with how they played against Montreal on Saturday. Montreal, if they play a counter-attack game, that will actually fall into Vancouver's game plan perfectly. That's what Vancouver want. What Vancouver don't need is Montreal really attacking. Uh, Vancouver would be happy just to kind of have it as a kind of midfield game where neither team are doing anything. Vancouver have the pace that can really trouble Montreal's defence, but Montreal do have a kind of electric attack that can that can really cause problems if Vancouver get caught going forward. I think Vancouver are going to go and play quite defensively. We will see Jim Marcus Davidson almost as a fifth defender in that DM role, and if if Montreal are happy just to try and and play counter attack football, that's going to be the best thing for Vancouver. If Montreal decide to really go for it, though, like they did against Toronto, there there will be goals there. And I think in Vancouver, most people are probably hoping that we can come away 
keeping it within two. And if we do that, yeah. we give ourselves a chance. If it's one or tied going into the second leg, yes. we might be the favourites then. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially considering Montreal, it's two cross-continent trip. Well, one actually, but in a couple of weeks. But mixed in with a lot of big trips as well, because they're going down south in a couple of weeks. And it's a lot of travels with that final leg. Yeah, it's it's been a strange one because a, a lot of us here were thinking, should we maybe play the first leg in Vancouver? Because we obviously mm-hmm. play we play New York after the second leg, so that's travel for us. But at the same time, we play Portland at home on Saturday, and then we're off. We, we've got 10 days before the second leg, mm-hmm. and that gives us a chance to rest, get the team together. He's going to give the players quite a lot of, of time off. So as long as the game is within two, we've got a, a great chance in the second leg. My worry is that it might not be. <laughs> I, I've kind of I've tipped on on my own podcast. I tipped Montreal to win three one. Okay. If if it was that, I'd be not happy, but I, I wouldn't be overly disappointed. If we can come away even two 0 fine. But if it's one 0 one one to all, I'd be really happy with that. And just that away goal might be very useful in a couple of weeks. I, I think that's what they're going to be keen to go for. It's going to be interesting as well to see what the crowd's like, because I know you guys, you didn't get a very good crowd for the Toronto game, which I was quite surprised about. Yeah, it's the Wednesday Wednesday night thing. It's the, the Canadian Championship don't have the same promotion and advertising as the MLS games does. It's, it's disappointing to me. It's, it is, but it's Canadian Soccer Association's fault. Yeah. It's, they don't promote it as much as the MLS does their own games. I, I think it's a great competition, and I, I just don't think they've caught the imagination of the public yet. Well, I mean, obviously, as folk might tell from my accent, I, I'm from Scotland, <laughs> and in the UK, we love our cup competitions. Oh. And I've grown up watching football, and to me, the most special games have always been cup ties. And especially midweek cup ties, played under floodlights. There's nothing better than that. It's just such a great atmosphere. And most of my favourite memories in football back home are from cup games, either on Saturdays or or midweek. And I love the Voyagers Cup. I've always loved it since I I moved over here 2007. So from 2008, I've seen every Voyagers Cup game that Vancouver's played. I've loved the the battles that we had with Toronto before we went into MLS. Loved the battles with Montreal. Montreal have been the team that I, I've hated the most <laughs> over here. Well. Even more, more than Toronto, more than Seattle and Portland, just for everything that went off in the D2 yeah. days. But I think, unfortunately, and I don't know how it is in Montreal, but in Vancouver, so many people aren't aware of exactly. that. Exactly. Well, Montreal's not too bad, but... I wouldn't know because I, ha- I hang out with passionate people and they all know about all the games. We all follow the U.S. Open Cup. Like, we follow basically everything. But normal, yeah. normal Montreal Impact fans have no clue about the Voyager's Cup or anything. I, it's the same here. And I, I think that's sad. And we, we've tried to, we've tried to build the rivalry up through a few blogs and things out here. But even Martin Rennie today, he was on Whitecaps Daily Radio today. And he, he admitted that there is a little rivalry, rivalry with Montreal, but he doesn't really see it as a major rivalry. He, he doesn't see it as big a rivalry as Toronto. But the hardcore fans that go back to D2 days, if you ask them, it's the complete opposite. They want to beat Montreal more than anything. Mm-hmm. And 
speaking about Cup, it's today as well. Well, today, the day the podcast comes out on Tuesday, it's the U.S. Open Cup starts. And yeah. I've been thinking and talking to a lot of people about the future of the Voyager's Cup, what it can become eventually. And what are your thoughts on that? Do you think we should go to a close to the U.S. Open Cup format, an FA Cup style format? Or more championship? I, I would I would love that. It's When it was just the three teams that were in it, and it was the round robin, it was still exciting, but it wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. Moving to the semi-finals, because Edmonton haven't really been that competitive, although they, they did give us a good run this for year. our money in the first leg this just year. So we know this year, if it wasn't for the referee, Sevilla Petrescu, Edmonton might have beaten Vancouver. Yeah, it's... It would have been a very interesting second leg, I think, if Edmonton had come in with with a one-goal lead. But just having the four teams, it takes away from it a little bit. Obviously, we've got Ottawa coming in next year. Mm -hmm. And from all all the word, it looks like it's going to be Edmonton and Ottawa playing a play-in game. So it's still, it's not going to be that more exciting. I'd love to open it up. I'd love to have maybe some of the teams that qualify for the the CSA Nationals, the Amateur yeah. Challenge Trophy. Well, the former, the and former like, CSL teams that have nothing to play for right now. Exactly. So why not? I mean, that, that would be fantastic. I, I love the US Open Cup. And it, it really annoys me that the, the people in the States don't appreciate exactly how good a competition they have. They have no clue what they have. They have a 100-year-old no. competition this year. It's 100 years old. I know, it's, it's been fantastic, and I, I've loved watching all the streams online the last couple of years, and I, I'm hoping there's going to be some streams tomorrow. I haven't yep, checked that are, out yet. All the but... streams, usually all the streams are on the site, which is thecup.us. So all my listeners, if you're interested, I told you I was going to keep an eye out of the US Open Cup. It starts tomorrow, well, today, Tuesday. The Thecup.us, all the games are there, streamed, the ones that are available, or all the information is right on that site. It's going to be really good. And this year, there's a bit of added stuff for, for us on the West Coast because both Toronto, both Seattle and Portland, their under 23 teams are in it. Oh, wow. So they can't play the, the main teams, <laughs> although Seattle's under 23s could play Portland Timbers MLS team and, and vice oh, versa. Wow. So that could be interesting in the third round, depending how that draw works out. And I, I'm hoping to possibly go down myself and see some of the games this year. Because Vancouver's under-23 team are playing Portland the the week of the fourth round of the Cup. Okay. I think it's the fourth, might be the third. So I'm thinking I'm maybe going down for that and hopefully taking a game in Seattle or Portland at the same time. Cause it's a great competition. And I'd love to see the Voyagers Cup going that same way, opening it up, having these small teams in the play-in rounds. And the argument that's always put out against that is, what would happen if, say... A, a small team from Quebec or Victoria Highlanders won the competition. How could they possibly play in the in the Concacaf Cup? But the chances are they're not going to do exactly. that. But even if they did, good, like good luck to them. They deserve exactly. it. Exactly, it's good for them. They get their brand out there, their name out there. They get a bigger stadium out of it. You never know. And Canada needs to raise the profile of the game here and. I think because people aren't so engaged in the competition just now, and even even the the Champions League as well, if Vancouver ever qualify for it, which I'm starting to think we're cursed and we're never <laughs> actually ever going to win this, but I'm really curious to see what kind of crowds we get here because I'm not sure that people are really clued on here like they 
they have been. I mean, Montreal got some fantastic crowds. Well, we got that. When you guys had that, run. that one time against Santos Saguna. But let me tell you, yeah. I was there against Joe Public and those Real Estadi from Costa Rica, from those smaller teams from the Champions League. And it was cold nights, cold Wednesday night at Saputo, with not even, back then it was a 13,000 stadium, but they barely had 8,000 back then for those games. It was cold. All right. I know Toronto were struggling with some crowds as well, and it's a shame. To me, I would, I would be happy with Van, Vancouver winning the Voyagers Cup and going deep in the Champions League yeah. as opposed to what we had last year and getting knocked out in the, in the first round of the playoffs because it was so exciting reaching the playoffs and then you go out after one game. That, that's pointless. Yeah. If you can have a deep run in the Champions League, that means more to me. But for the general sport and public here, the general football public here, they don't look at it that way. Wow. And it's all about the playoffs, and that's just the North American way. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I believe in, even the CONCACAF Champions League is a very underrated competition. It's a golden ticket to go play against some of the biggest clubs in the world. Yeah. And even if you're going to get your your team defeated by like 7 nothing over there, it doesn't matter. It's your brand out there against Barcelona, against uh, Chelsea, or against the Corinthians, against big clubs. Exactly. It's going to raise your marketability. And as much as I hate the fact that football is a business these days, football is a First business. First of all, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's a game before it's a business. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately it is. And it's all about money and it's all about building a global brand. And the only way that teams like Montreal and, and the Whitecaps can can be known worldwide is to get into that championship. All right, so your final predictions for the game, for the first leg on Wednesday. First leg, I think, I still think it's going to be 3-1. I think Vancouver's going to have a lot more confidence now after beating LA on Saturday. If they play the wrong game, though... And if Montreal really go for it, it, it could be quite a big scoreline. But I'm going to go with 3-1 to Montreal. All right. Well, Mr. Michael McCall, make, do I pronounce it correctly? Yep, that's near enough. All right. So, Mr. Michael, thank you very much. You can listen to Michael on AFTN, AFTN Podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, AFTN Podcast. You, you can find that just by going on to AFTN.ca. Perfect. AFTN.ca. Well, thank you very much. Have a great Wednesday night game. Thanks, Kevin, and I hope you enjoy it. And I'd like to say good luck to Montreal, but I can't really say that in a minute. <laughs> welcome back to Works, and our very good friend of the show would like to welcome back Mr. Morgan Green. Hello, Morgan. How you doing, Kevin? Glad to be back. Always a pleasure to have you. First off, big news just came out an hour ago. Mancini got sacked. Yes, he did. Um, it's not the most shocking news. I think the most shocking thing about it is the fact that it was done on the anniversary of uh, them winning the title. So a little, a uh, little bittersweet day for Mancini going forward here. But I just, uh, it still kind of baffles me. I know why they sacked him, but I think that at this time with all the change that's happening around City, I think that keeping at least a little bit of stability would have been the best thing for them. But, you know, the times they are changing and they want to try and go forward in Europe. So hopefully the next man in can do that for them. Well, did Mancini ever had a real shot to stay at, at Manchester? Because from what I've seen, he's won trophies. He's lists everywhere, won 
the league for the first time in 40-something years and still couldn't stay there. Yeah, I mean, I think he had a shot, but the way that the owners are running the club is that they want European success and they want it now. And even even when you saw when Jose Mourinho was at Chelsea, yes, he got that club. He had them winning titles, you know, in the division. He had them winning FA Cups, League Cups, but they were always falling kind of just short of the European success. And that obviously wasn't the reason that he got fired, but it just goes to show you that even the best managers still need a little bit of time to build, especially when you're building from scratch, like you were with a team like Manchester City. I mean, it took Chelsea ten, almost 10 years after uh, Jose Mourinho came in to be able to lift the title. So I think that the owners, while they did, they did give him a little bit of patience. I still think that they're, they may have been moving a little bit, uh, faster than what they should be. So we'll, again, this all comes down to who they're going to bring in next. Obviously we've heard the name Manuel Pellegrini yeah. sent around, but you know, we'll see where it goes from there. All right. From one end of Manchester to the other end, Mr. Sir Alex Ferguson announced his retirement last week and it was his last home game in the weekend. Everything has been said about Sir Alex Ferguson. What is your quick thoughts on Mr. SAF? Uh, he's a legend and probably the best, probably the best, uh, manager coach of any professional league ever. Um, you know, I mean, it, and you don't just look at the titles that he's won and he's won his fair share of, uh, titles, cups. I think, you know, obviously he, I personally, he could have done a little bit better in Europe with Manchester yeah. United, but that competition's so hard to win. You can't really fault him too much for that, but. You know, just you look at how he came into the club and he, again, it was another club that he really kind of built up almost from scratch himself. There, He changed the entire culture around that team and he wasn't afraid to blow up his own projects and go with younger players. And it's worked many, many times in the past and he's known when players have kind of gone past their usefulness for him when they were getting bigger than the club. And that's, I think, his big thing was that he never let one player become bigger than the club. And I think that that's one thing that you really have to credit him for during his entire uh, managerial career at Manchester United. That is very true. And especially he was laughed at at the beginning when he got the job and saying, I want to be better and bigger than Liverpool. Everybody was laughing at him. Look at it now. Yep, exactly. That's always, that's usually how it goes. And, uh, you know, at that time when he took over, um, you know, Liverpool were the, they were, they were that team. They were the team to beat the 18 titles, the European trophies. I mean, they were the team to gun for and he went straight for it. Now, granted, he wasn't necessarily an unknown commodity coming in. He had already done fantastic things in Scotland and, taken Aberdeen to uh, European success and you, you, you kind of see how Aberdeen fell off after he <laughs> left. So, you know, he's done, he's done it, I guess you could say almost everywhere he's been. And, um, you know, for him to make a bold statement like that, yes, it may have seemed foolish at the <laughs> time, but in his heart of hearts, he knew that this is something that he wanted to do and that if he was able to get the time that he could do and he ended up doing it. Yeah, it was. And, David Moyes has a, a very big shoes to fill. Do you think he's gonna have the same? Do you think the club's gonna have the same patience with him as he did with uh, Sir Alex Ferguson at the beginning of his reign? And that really is, I guess you could say, the billion-dollar question. Uh, you know, David Moyes 
is coming in and and the times are obviously different between now and when Sir Alex Ferguson was appointed back then a manager could get 3 4 years to try and build the club up how he you know how he wanted to see fit and if it wasn't successful then okay you've had 3 or 4 years and nothing's happened unfortunately with the way that football has changed and is so driven by money these days we see these managers that are in for a year a year and a half I mean look at Roberto Mancini you know, he's, he's averaged almost a trophy a season and he got the yeah. sack. So I think that, and I've posed this question to several Manchester United supporters and I've gotten differing answers on it. If he does go say a season, two se if he goes two seasons and maybe doesn't get a, doesn't get a trophy and finishes second or third in the league, you know, are they going to cut him loose? Oh. And they, they may very well. I think personally, with the way things are set up, if you want to believe the conspiracy theories out there, I'd think that they would give him three seasons because at that point you're probably going to have Pep Guardiola. His contract will be up at Bayern. <laughs> we'll see how he's doing then. But also you'll probably have Jose Mourinho on the market. As we know, Jose, yes, he's going to be coming back to Chelsea, but three years is about his limit at a club, and he's already burned his bridges in Italy and in Spain, uh, I don't think that he would go to a league like France, and he's already stated that he'll never go to Germany. So he says he wants about 10 more years of club football before he tries out for the national scene. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it could be another, uh, you know, three more years on there, have Jose build them up and then take out, you know, maybe another Scotsman. But, I, you know, it, it's going to be a big question whether he does get that time or not. I think we'll see also, you'll see a lot more of what the Glazers truly are yeah. as owners because they, they, you know, they were ready set when they came in. They had the best coach in the world. They basically have. So now that they're going to, yeah, now that they're going to have to make decisions, I think we'll see a lot more about how they are and their actual uh, demeanor as owners of a club. Yeah, except trying to build Old Trafford bigger. That's about the only thing the, the Glazers have done so far, right? Because they had Ferguson running everything else. Well, no, the, the Glazers, they came in and they really mark, they really made that club a marketing oh, machine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, they, they've done a lot of, a lot of the deals that you see now. I mean, the, a lot of small, very smart business deals. You can't fault them on that. They've done some very good business yeah, with Manchester United. Yep. And building them up to be the global brand that they are. And, and it's not even just opening up new markets. It's stuff like, you know, with, you look at their kit sponsors now, they're going from Aon to Chevrolet, but they're still keeping Aon as their, their training kit sponsor. Okay. That's fine. You know, it's like how many teams out there have their training kit sponsor and they're getting money from that. It's, it's almost, if you think of it kind of like a NASCAR feel yeah. that they took to the club where you see, you know, those NASCAR cars that just have sponsors on every little inch of the car. Mm -hmm. That's what they've done for United. And I know a lot of fans, it might displease them yeah. for that, but that's what's really bringing in the revenue for that club. And they've done a very good job running it as a business. It's true, because otherwise they wouldn't have the money to compete because they don't have a millionaire. They don't have a billionaire owner as much as Chelsea or you could say all those bigger clubs. No, they don't. And they also do have, they, you know, again, they do have a lot of debt that a lot of people are do bring up. But I know we've seen several blog posts saying that that debt, the way things are going could be eliminated in the in the next couple of years. But that also contributes to the fact that United are successful. Now that we're into this period of the unknown, if they stop winning, if they don't, you know, if they say pull a Manchester City in the Europa League or in the uh, Champions League, 
if they start coming in second and third, if they're not lifting trophies, that obviously starts tarnishing that brand because so much of that brand is the success that they have. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be that's going to be another deciding factor, not just the play on the field, but the fact that if they start losing money because they're not getting success, I think you'll start to see that uh, trigger finger start getting a little bit more itchy. Uh, yeah. All right. So we are all set for the final of the End Power Championship at Wembley. It's going to be Crystal Palace versus Watford. Watford. Did you get a chance to see the end of the mm-hmm. game? I did not get to watch the game live, but I did catch the highlights and I just the end of that game. And it really does do justice for Watford, the way that they were undone on the final game of the season, you know, having their goalkeeper go down injured pregame then having their goalkeeper get injured in the game and having to start the poor teenager, Jack Bonham. And just the way that the way that he let that last goal go in, it, it was such a shame to see, but, to see the redemption of them in the 96th, 97th minute to save the penalty and get that goal. I think it was just, it was poetic justice for what happened to them on the end of the season. I couldn't be happier for Gianfranco Zola. So for our listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, go on my Twitter feed. You have the YouTube video. Watford blocked a penalty. They were down. It was actually tied on aggregate. And they blocked a penalty to score in extra time to actually advance to the final of the championship playoffs. Yes, Manuel Almunia, of all people, blocking the penalty. Wow. Do I still think that if that was for Arsenal, that rebound goes in? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, if you get a chance to see that, all my listeners out there, all eight of you, go take a second, and it's worth a lot. It's worth – it's the pure essence of football, in my opinion. So, Crystal Palace and Watford, any quick thought on that? Well – you know, my heart was in it with, uh, Watford. Obviously they have the John Franco Zola connection on there, but it's, it's a team that if they do come up, I'll, I'm very interested to see how they will structure their club in the Premier League. You know, the, the Pozo family who's come in and taken over that team, they've obviously done a lot of loan deals between their two clubs that they have, Udinese and Granada in Spain. So I think that what will happen is if they do get into the Premier League, you'll see some of those players like uh, Vidra and um, Alman Abdi, guys like that. I think you'll start seeing them as permanent deals okay. in for, for Watford. And I, I'm very excited to see how they'll play the in the Premier League. I think they'll be very entertaining to watch. Vidra is a fantastic player. If you haven't gotten a chance to watch him in the league, in the uh, championship this year, Check out, you know, go check out some of his YouTube videos. He is a very, very good striker to watch. And I really, th- I'm really pulling for them. But again, I had written off Crystal Palace <laughs> going against Brightford and they, or excuse me, Brighton and they just kind of came out of nowhere. Two nothing today. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they did. Two nothing today from, uh, 15 million pound Wilfred Zaha. <laughs> so, you know, it, and it's that, that's another team that you, you overlook them, but you really can't because they were up there. In the automatic promotion season, spots yeah. for a lot of the season, yeah, and they you know, they do have some veteran experience on that team. They have some very good players outside of uh, Zaha. They've got experience in Kevin Phillips. They've got Balassi. They've got a lot of guys in there that are very good. Their goalkeeper Julian Speroni, who's been with that club for ages now, uh, I think it would be a really good story to see him get into the Premier League. He's he's been with that team through thick and exactly. thin. So. It's um, it should set up to be a very exciting final. Uh, I really can't wait to see it, but I'll be uh, I'll be pulling for Watford, not just for uh, Zola and 
all of, uh, you know, Vidras and guys like that. I'll also be pulling for Elton John to see his club get into the Premier League one more time. Both clubs have been in the league, in the Premier League for a long time. So, and actually both clubs have a big supporter following. Uh, A lot of people don't know this in North America, but a lot of lower leagues in England have almost as, as big following as the big clubs. If I'm more passionate. So it's going to be very interesting. Yes, it will. It will be interesting to see. Uh, I know a lot of those people could be, uh, will probably be referred to as hipsters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we watch the lower leagues, but you know, it really is. I'm telling you, the championship is as exciting as any league in the world, just from top to bottom. You see how that league ended on the last day. And it's like that all season. You get crazy results. It really is one of the more entertaining leagues to watch in the world. And I really wish that, uh, they would probably, they would show a lot yeah. more championship games on the TV here. They should do like a deal like MLS Live where you can just pay something like 60 bucks for the year. You can watch every single game. Yeah. Well, they, they have the deal. I think being sport okay. has the rights to the championship. Unfortunately, uh, they kind of bury the championship. Below uh, the Spanish league and the Italian league. Today, leagues. during the, half, the second half, the feed on BN Sport, no more feed. It crashed and they didn't show the last 15 minutes of the game. That is, that is awful. Exactly. That is awful, and I'm kind of glad I missed it. <laughs> All right, just a quick thought on Saturday was the FA Cup final. It was Wigan and Manchester City. Yes, and a very entertaining game. I know some people may have thought it was very boring, but it was it was a very entertaining game to watch. Wide open play. Uh the finishing left a little bit to be desired from both teams, but I think that you know, both goalkeepers, especially Joel, really stepped up and made some pretty good saves uh right until the end when Ben Watson got his head on that corner and gave Wigan and Dave Whelan their first FA Cup and just to see the joy from the players, the fans, and even Dave Whelan. He's a polarizing figure. I know he's not very popular in the media, but you figure this is a man whose lifelong goal has been to get Wigan into the Premier League, get them, especially with how his career ended with the FA Cup. It really is, it's really great to see. It really is a good story, no matter what you think about Dave Whelan. And, and I, obviously, I'm a, uh, I'm a Wigan, I guess you could say they're kind of my closet team. I'm a closet fan of Wigan. It, I am a I am a very big believer, and I really do believe that they stay up this year. And I've been I've been criticized for that mightily. So we'll find out come yeah. Tuesday if they are going to be staying so up. I was going to say we'll know tomorrow if they drop points against Arsenal. Against Arsenal, it's done. They yeah, well, not necessarily. It's um, I'm looking. Uh, actually, you know what? They might be because <laughs> I think yes, their goal differential is. Oh no, I was I was just looking at the table because they would have been level yeah. on points with Sunderland, but. uh if they won their last game and Sunderland lost, but Sunderland would have to get smashed at I home and they'd probably have to win. Yeah, and they'd probably have to win a uh, pretty heftily against Aston Villa. So, yeah, they're going to need all three, as Arsenal yes. will need all three, to uh, stay in contention for the Champions League. If they don't get all three, they may they may very well finish fifth this season. It's going to come down to pure will tomorrow. It's not going to be who's got more talent. It's going to be who wants it more. Exactly. And I think right now you look at Arsenal, you got to kind of question that drive. I brought it up on the EPL Talk podcast. This is a team that hasn't scored more than a goal in a game in over a month. So they're, they've just kind of been doing almost the bare minimum, just scraping by results. They've gotten two wins against poor opposition, one nil wins against QPR and uh, Fulham. And you know, they've gotten a 0-0 draw against Everton and a 1-1 against Manchester United. So it seems like... They're, I think they'll score, but it's going to come down to, I think it's going to come down to the final minutes. I think 
with that fight that Wigan have and the adrenaline that they'll be running off of getting that cup win, I think that it pushes them over the line. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that the burden lifted off their shoulder with lifting of the FA Cup on Saturday is going to propel them to a three-point tomorrow, I believe. Yes, I, and I certainly hope so. They do have a lot of injuries, but you see the quality that that team has when they are playing together, and I think they're at a point where they know they have nothing to lose, and that's a very dangerous team to play against, especially as young as they are with guys like Roger Espinosa. Callum McManaman as well has been fantastic. I mean, he he every city yellow card was for a foul on Callum McManaman. He was just such a handful for them. And I think those two are the types of players that, they can give, they're going to give Arsenal a ton of trouble. And you've got Aruna Kone in the middle and Sean Maloney on top of that. I think that they'll be able to play a good style against Arsenal. I think that they'll be able to score a few goals against them. So we're all cheering for Wigan on tomorrow and Wednesday night. Big game if you like the Blues. It's a Europa League final. Chelsea versus Benfica from Amsterdam. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Benfica, very, very entertaining team to watch. A very good team. Uh, they have, they, they've had a great season overall. I know that they did end up, uh, they fi- ended up finishing second in the Portuguese league. So they're going to have that, uh, I guess you could say bad taste in their mouth coming into this final. So they're definitely going to want to get something. I think the biggest news that I saw today was that Eden Hazard is going to be fit for the final, which was a huge question mark after he kind of limped off the field with what looked like a hamstring. Um, I haven't seen any news about John Terry. I assume his season I is done. Today because that he's still day-to-day. He's still questionable. He is? Okay. I mean, that just – with a knee injury like that, especially given what he's going through this season, I would have said that his season was probably done. But if he is able to get fit, I don't think that Rafa is going to start him. But I think that having him on the cup, or having him on the bench and just bringing him on is, you know, just some defensive steal at the end of the game, I think would be a very good uh, role for him to play in this final. But it's going to come down to the wings. And a healthy Hazard, I think, kind of tips the balance of power towards Chelsea a little bit because that is the one thing that Benfica lacks is really strength at their at their wingback position. And if they can keep it out wide – and really mess around with their left and right backs between, you know, be it Hazard, Oscar, Victor Moses would probably be a good uh, fit for this game, and Juan Mata, I think that they're going to cause them some trouble. I think that it could, having Hazard on the field could tip this in Chelsea's favor. So if I'm not mistaken, you're choosing Chelsea to lift the trophy on tomorrow? You are not mistaken. I am choosing Chelsea to lift the cup tomorrow, and that would be two years in a row of European success. And another job well done by Rafa Benitez. No matter how, begrudgingly, no matter how the fans will uh, you know, think of Rafa, begrudgingly they're going to have to credit him with bringing another right. European Cup to I Chelsea. I think he's done an amazing job with the constant pressure of the supporters against him, having to readjust the whole style of play after Di Matteo because it was just a little bit too loose in my opinion. Had to restructure the whole thing, and he's done amazing. He really has. I mean, the job that he's done, I, I honestly, if this wasn't Sir Alex Ferguson's last season, I honestly think that he should have gotten, uh, manager of the year given the circumstances that he came in with, the constant pressure that he's had. He's virtually had little to no backing from upstairs. They've been silent pretty much the whole time. 
And I think that he's really turned this club around. You, and it's not just the style of play you have to look at. You have to look at the rotation policy that he's set in. He's got the players on his side. The players are playing for him. They, they're not complaining. They're not sulking. It's essentially, it's what AVB should have done when he was here, but didn't because I, and I think that kind of came down to the fact that Again, Rafa's a name. He's dealt with players like this. AVB did not have that experience, so he did not know how to approach and that uh, situation. That AVB's age was very similar to the age of the veteran in the team, John Terry or other players, and he didn't probably get the respect he deserved as a coach from those players, and it didn't help him in the locker room. No, it didn't. And that's and again, he lost the locker room, and that's what really uh, what really hurt him. But you know, you see this year, I think that. He probably sat down John Terry and yeah. Frank Lampard and Peter Check and said, look guys, we've got a job to do. I'm going at the end of the year. Let's just get everything we can. Let's get Champions League. We can make this work for both of us. And sometimes that's just what you have to do. And it's really, I think it's really turned them around. He's done a fantastic job with this team. Thank you without saying a little something for Mr. 203. Mr. Super Frank, Frank Lampard. Yeah, Super Frank. Uh, two honestly typical goals for Super Frank. I think a third one for a penalty <laughs> would have suited the, uh, the naysayers who claim that all of his goals are penalties. But, um, no, really, again, uh, you know, a nice curling shot from outside of the box. It would have been nice to yeah, see him get that free kick good. at the very beginning. I know <laughs> I jumped up out of bed when I saw that. I said, Oh, that's so close. But, um, you know, two typical goals, one from outside of the box, the other one, kind of a typical poacher's goal off of a move that he kind of started there and just followed it up and finished it. So he's, it's great. He's in the record books. He's broken Bobby Tamling's record. He is Mr. Chelsea. And I think that he's definitely, uh, he's deserved his spot in Chelsea folklore. And I think if things go out the way that they're, or if they play out the way that they're supposedly going to play out, in the media and Jose comes back, I can see him getting another, uh, uh, probably a one year extension and staying on through next season. He's clearly shown that he can still do some sort of job for this team, be it, and he doesn't have to be a full time starter. He hasn't been starting regularly. He's still scored more goals in the league than any player on Manchester City has this year. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, he can still do a job, whether it's coming off of the bench, starting the odd game here and there. You can't let a player go like that. I think he gets that deal, especially if Mourinho comes I back. I agree with you 100%. Morgan Green, it's always a pleasure. You can listen to Morgan on the EPL Talk podcast, available twice a week on the iTunes store. You can find us off the woodworks on the iTunes as well. Morgan, thank you very much for being on the show. No, thank you for having and, me, uh, Kevin. Have a great Europa League final. Will do. I want to thank again Michael McCall from AFTN.ca in Vancouver and Morgan Green from the EPL Talk podcast for enlightening us today on Off to Woodworks. And thank you very much for those two beautiful conversations, guys. And yes, Wednesday night, there's a game in the MLS. Philadelphia Union versus the LA Galaxy in Philly, or should I say in Chester. So what's going to happen in Chester? Look for Jack McInerney to put a couple backs, a couple back, Fudicinic, no, Kudicinic. Anyways, the former Chelsea goalkeeper that plays for the Galaxy, Fudicinic, look for McInerney, Happy Jack, to score a couple of them. 
So put him in your fantasy and join the fantasy of Off the Woodworks on MLSsoccer.com. 15121-3320. And you know what else is on May 15th, 2013? And I'm not talking about my mom's birthday, which it is. So happy birthday, mom. Yes, I know I've said it on my podcast. There you go. But it's Chelsea versus Benfica for the Europa League final. Yes, the red-headed stepchild, brother, or whatever you want to call it, the evil twin, whatever you want to call it, of the Champions League, the Europa League. It's the final. And it's a trophy. So Rafa Benitez and his blue boys has a chance to keep that blue flag flying high and raise silverware tomorrow afternoon. Put all your eggs in Chelsea, because yes, Eden Hazard is fit to play. He will be there. Hope Frankie Lampard, super Frank, because he's a super Frank. Super Frank is going to put a couple goals back of the Benfica goalkeeper. And yes, if my friend Kevin Silvis from Twitter is actually listening to this, it's going to be a good game, and uh, it's going to be rough to see your team lose, right? Yeah, one of us is going to cry on Wednesday night. But it's not going to be me. Haha, <laughs> I said it. Friendly trip to you, my friend. <laughs> and so don't forget to finish your fantasy before Wednesday night because it's the deadline because there's one game on Wednesday. So you, thanks for listening to Off the Woodworks. I'm Kevin Laramie. You can reach me on Facebook. Go like my page, Off the Woodworks with an X. On Twitter, at Off the Woodworks. Email Off the Woodworks at Hotmail.com. Yes, I have a Hotmail account. I use Hotmail still. I'm old school like that. And you can find the podcast on iTunes. Very proud to be on iTunes. Or Podbean, if Podbean is your thing. On FeedBurner as well. Available where all, all RSS feeds are available. That's where you can find Off the Woodworks. Have a great soccer, my friends. Have a great soccer. Nobody's gonna hear a sound, no